And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, January 27th. Derek Van Riper. Pritchiroli, Eno Saris. Yes, this is a familiar crew. And no, you did not hear the Rates and Barrels intro music. We have infiltrated the Athletic Baseball Show. Or we've been promoted to the Athletic Baseball Show. Or we're just, you know, spreading our wings a little bit. Put me in, coach. I'm, no, sorry. <laughs> Please continue for the sake of Andy McCullough, who I know is a huge yes. fan of that song. <laughs> One of the uh, great moments in... Uh, the athletic list history, I think, when Andy and it was Rustin, I think, was the the co-author of the list, right? They they ranked all the baseball songs in left center field off the list. <laughs> and we're adamant that that was on purpose. <laughs> yes. No, they, they were definitely doing that on purpose. But today on this episode, we're going to continue a series that I've been a part of for, geez, it feels like forever. It's been over a month now, going team by team in one division, trying to move things ahead and figure out What's going to happen once the lockout is over? It's really solving the puzzle for five different teams. Before we get there, there has been progress in the form of meetings on back-to-back days between the league and the Players Association. I think when we last spoke on Rates and Barrels, it was kind of a, hey, at least they're talking about the right things sort of position for Eno. And Britt said, well, they're still really far apart, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves and think this thing's going to get hammered out quickly. And I think that's a fair assessment of where things stand, but I'm trickling more towards the middle point of of optimism and pessimism, where I was a little more pessimistic coming into the week. I'm kind of right smack dab in the middle where I tend to live my life more often than I should as things stand here midweek. Yeah, I think there are reasons for optimism. I mean, they're, they, they're leaving the weird, the weird proposals are, are gone now, and now they're talking about minimum the the rookie minimum salary the uh, the CBT um, and then a bonus pool for uh, high performing uh, young players so you know and when they say something like you know baseball offered ten million and and MLBPA wanted a hundred million for that pool that sounds like a lot but then when you divide it by thirty I don't know I don't know that it's that much so I think they'll find the middle ground of a lot of these things and. I'm I'm trending more optimistic. I think we won't miss we won't miss time this season. Britt for the counterpoint. <laughs> um, no counterpoint. I was really excited to talk just baseball for an hour. I'm a little like locked out out if that's possible, yeah. right? Like like everyone's trying to parse all this. Like, is it is it optimistic? Is it not optimistic? Out of everything, and right. I just think like, wake me up when you have a deal. Let's talk baseball. Yes, like the negotiations are very important and they're a very serious matter. And I'm not trying to speed through them because I don't think that they're serious and important. 
I'm just ready to start looking back at the things we were excited about before the music stopped because we had a transaction frenzy and we're going to have one again. Whenever the lockout is resolved, teams are going to have a mad dash to get things in place for what could be the start of a, a truncated spring training or if there's even a spring training at all, a very brief run up to the start of a season. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think getting out in front of it, trying to figure out what's actually coming is quite a bit of fun. So the focus today is on the AL East. And we start with the defending AL East champions, the Tampa Bay Rays. Before things stopped, they made a few additions. Corey Kluber on a one-year deal. They added Brooks Raley to the bullpen, extended Wander Franco, which we talked about at the time on Rates and Barrels. The remaining needs, when you look at this team just from a pure war perspective, I think this would be true most years. They're light on pitching by projection, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually light on pitching because of the way they lean so much into their depth. They go so far down the roster to get quality innings over the course of a season that a snapshot of a normal projection doesn't quite explain why the Rays are really as good at what they do as they actually are. So I'm going to start with you. You know, like it's probably a trade if it's anything flashy or a minor signing, just because that's sort of the world that the Rays have operated in for most of their existence. Yeah. I mean, they already did the Corey Kluber acquisition, which is the, you know, what they do every off season, which is sign an old, you know, starting pitcher to, keep the young guys uh, in the minors to begin the season. And as that old starting pitcher either uh, shows his age, uh, uh, either an injury or performance, uh, or just gets injured, then they bring in the young guys as the season progresses. Uh, I think that if you look at guys like Shane Baz and Drew Rasmussen and, and Luis Patino and even Yanni Chirinos who's coming back from injury, they're all exciting young arms. Uh, none of them will cross the 130-inning threshold this year. And so you can kind of pencil in each of those guys for 100, 100 innings or so, uh, but that leaves a fair amount of innings left. I think that they'll sign somebody like, and I, and I kind of like this one, uh, Drew Smiley as uh, in a return engagement uh, to be their three-inning uh, fifth starting pitcher uh, to kind of piggyback with Yarbrough or something or piggyback with Rasmussen or something. Uh, a guy who will give them some decent innings up front, and if he's if they aren't decent, uh, they can move down the depth chart and get some of the young guys in there. Britt, when you look at this team, it, it probably looks pretty similar to teams you've seen throughout your time. You previously covered the Orioles and the AL East. Like, this is, anytime the Rays have been good, this has been the script, and in, in past versions, I guess. For a long time, it was Evan Longoria as their star. Now it's pretty clearly Wander and maybe even Brandon Lau to some degree as, as two like clear-cut, well-above-average position players, and then a lot of mixing and matching elsewhere with maybe another little wave of young talent, too. They got guys like Vidal Brujan and Josh Lowe and Shane Boz all finding their way into big league roles as well. But do you think this works? Because this is a, a juggernaut of a division year over year. They're one of four legitimate contenders again. Can they do it? Can they pull it off with the way that they're trying to cobble it back together? Yeah. So actually, before I was even covering the Orioles, I was around the Rays in 2008, the year they finally got good and went to the World Series. And what they did then, they still do now, 
which is maximize their entire AAA team. And you talked about depth. Um, Durham is better run than I want to say at least a third of big league organizations. And I've heard that from people in baseball for years. They've consistently won championships up and down their system. And I think people have gotten away from the winning matters, but you look at what Tampa Bay has done in in those lower levels and they really think of the big league team as their entire pretty much 40 man roster and then some, right? And that's how they're able to find value on the margins. If you listen to Eric Neander talk, they're not interested in the A option or the B option. They're interested in the C and the D option and how they can make the C and D option fit into what they're doing, how they can tweak that player just a little bit to help them win. And we mentioned pitching being something they need. They happen to pitch at Tropicana Field, which is a pitcher's dream. So guys who are fringy, guys who, you know, maybe aren't that great are going to be elevated pitching in a pitcher's park like that. And I think people don't realize that as well. They build their team around their park to some extent. And we talked about this a little bit on rates and barrels with the foul ground and the advantage that, you know, certain teams may or may not have. Um, But I think there is a Tampa Bay Rays player. And I think when you look at it, it's not the flashy stars. And that's the reason why, you know, maybe fans have trouble kind of rooting for the Rays as they don't really have those superstars. Though certainly you can argue Wander Franco is absolutely a superstar and should be a bigger deal. Um, But you look at them and I don't really even look at their predictions because you know they're going to exceed them. You know they're going to be better than people think. It's not as easy as spitting all this into a computer and modeling it because Tampa has proven time and time again their models are better and they're smarter than everybody else. There's plenty of results that bear that out. It's a great point, too. Winning at every level of the minor leagues is a big deal, and especially if you're doing it with cores of players that are, are young for the level or not not well above the average age at the level. There's, there's, there's that way of winning where you've got these seasoned minor league veterans out there that are just beating up on pitching that they, frankly, just shouldn't be facing anymore. And then there's the way of doing it with young players, teaching them how to win, getting them into high-pressure situations. And I think that's certainly a great way to develop players, as we've seen. A couple things that Britt said I just wanted to uh, highlight that they were uh, just right spot on. One one was, um, you know, w- when you have a deep AAA squad, I think that that was a little bit of what, what the Giants did last year. And that was some of their brilliance was how much better their AAA squad was. And that's something that Farhan, I don't know if he got it, you know, from the Rays, but, you know, he worked with a former Ray in, in L.A., and Farhan is absolutely intensely uh, excited about waiver claims you know, and excited about, you know, trying to add talent uh, just off the 40-man or just the end of the 40-man in AAA uh, so that when someone goes down, you're calling up a, a one-win player instead of a replacement player. Uh, that can be a huge difference. The other thing uh, that Britt said that I that really resonates with me is I was just talking to a, a, an executive for a piece I'm doing about you know how to win at Coors Field, and he said, "Who benefits more from Coors Field? Is it, um, it you know because it suppresses it, it's it suppresses strikeouts? So is it the high strikeout guy who strikes out a little bit less, or the guy who already doesn't strike out that much?" Uh, another way of saying it is, who benefits more from Tropicana Field, Max Scherzer or Ryan Yarborough? 
And I think the answer is mm. Ryan Yarbrough <laughs> because Max Scherzer is great wherever he goes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you have guys like Ryan Yarbrough the, and Josh Fleming. Um, you know, there have been more names over the years that I think other teams would either put in the bullpen or leave in AAA. Um, the Rays find a way to get the most value out of those guys, get the good innings out of them, uh, and avoid the bad innings. And I think that is actually really tough for a, a production system. A production system can say, okay, we're going to give, you know, uh, Mar- Margot's, we're going to give him 18% of the playing time in left field and 20% of the playing time in center field and 30% of the playing time in right field. He's going to be, up, 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 up. we're going to chain all this. You can do that. But what you can't do is model team behavior when it comes to, uh, you know, like the Brewers, for example, only pitching hater when they're ahead. They never pitch hater when they're behind. So they always win when they pitch hater. You, it's really hard to to model that in um, in in a projection system. And the Rays do something similar, where they their good pitchers pitch the good innings when they're winning, and their bad pitchers just do mop ups and then are back down in the minors. Yeah, yeah, they lean very heavily into those minor league options and make sure they have guys they can shuttle up and down throughout the year to get the most efficient innings out of that entire staff. Definitely a big part of their success. I mean, if you said pick a favorite in the AL East as things are here at the end of January, I'd still probably take the Rays Mm. straight up over the other teams in the division. It's probably the most difficult division to forecast because there's not much that separates uh, these top four teams. But bare minimum, even if they have some injury issues, they're going to be a thorn in the side of the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, even if they're not front runners in the AL East all season long. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go to Boston, where there have been a few additions so far. Not very Red Sox-like moves, because there's not a big splashy move there, but Haim Bloom came from Tampa Bay, can operate in a big market the way he used to with the Rays. And this this is, I think, something that could make the Rays' life more difficult in the long run. Any strategy where you're playing on the margins and building with depth, the more teams that do it, the harder it is to go get those players off the scrap heap, because you have more teams thinking the same way that you do. Rich Hill, Michael Walker, James Paxton, all on one-year deals have been added by Boston so far. And they didn't make a trade with the Brewers to bring back Jackie Bradley Jr. Gives them some good depth in center field. Great defender, a guy coming off a, a massive disappointing season at the plate, but maybe someone they could fix because he's had some success in Boston in the past. So, Britt, when you look at the Red Sox, remaining needs for this team, what is at the top of the list? What is the must-get addition for the Red Sox once they're able to make moves again? Well, I think they do need a splashy move because I think, you know, the Yankees are coming with their splashy move. 
And But here's my main problem when I look at the Red Sox is we know they overachieved. We know they hit their goal in 2021. But you look, guys, at their roster and you wonder, is Heim Bloom biding his time fiscally because of all these one-year deals, waiting for Chris Sale, who has an opt-out after 2022, to potentially have a good year and opt out and then reset this payroll, reset this team with eyes on 2023. That's what I want to know. Are they going to go all in? I'm not really sure that last year stumbling into the postseason is enough to make Bloom kind of blow up his long-term vision. I don't think they're going to do much though. I just said, I know they need this flashy signing. I don't think they're going to do much to get better this for this year. I think they have a wave of young talent coming. Um, I think their most pressing issues are who are they going to extend? What are they going to do with guys like Xavier Bogarts, Raphael Devers, to a lesser extent, maybe Nathan Evaldi. Um, but I think when you look at this team, you really kind of wonder what they're going to do next year with the payroll because by 2023, if they get sale off the books, you're looking at a team that is young, that is cheap, and that can actually afford to make a couple impact moves and still be kind of under that luxury tax. Yeah, J.D. Martinez's deal runs out after this season, too. So there's another $22 million player that is gone, too. So that starts to open some things up. Uh, I think getting there a year early probably pushed expectations higher than they should be for Red Sox fans. I think by, by Pythagorean wins, they were four wins worse than their actual result. That's a huge deal in the AL East. Every single game matters. It's a division that should come down to the final weekend of the season again this year. So it is interesting that they're kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. If they didn't see an impact player in this year's free agent class that they felt made a lot of sense for them to get now, even if the ultimate payoff might be two or three years down the road, that sort of makes sense based on where they're sitting right now. The AL East, man, it is tough. The Red Sox have the worst wins above replacement projections on fan graphs. Uh, in the division. Wait, worse than the Orioles? Oh, sorry. Not worse <laughs> than the Orioles. counting the Orioles. <laughs> fourth of the, of the, sorry, of the contenders. Fourth. However, 10th in all of baseball. And if they were in the NL, they would be the fourth best team. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, it's tough hoeing. I mean, to be the fourth wheel in a division that may create three postseason teams uh, is is a tough place to be. And then if you look across their line, they're below average at first base by projections. They're below average in left field by projections. They're below average in center field by projections. Um, and they're below average in the bullpen uh, or just around average. So, um, you know, they've got some flaws. And I think Britt is right. What are they going to do? Because they're right up against what they spent last year. And unless the CBT, and this is something that maybe... Uh, some of these teams that didn't do much in the free agent frenzy before, they they were waiting to see what is the CBT number. And that's the thing that we've been seeing bandied about. You know, baseball's like, we will graciously up the CBT tax $5 million, <laughs> which to me is pretty amazing for an industry that's gone from $7 billion in revenues to $11 billion in revenues since the last CBA. Uh, however, the Players Association was saying, hey, how about 245 And if it's 245 then all of a sudden the Red Sox have, you know, $30 million in their pocket uh, and can do something bigger. You know, I have... You know, I have the cheap uh, version up, which right now is, you know, Colin McHugh, who's um, 
the reliever that's uh, left with the uh, he's got the second best stuff number. Stuff is a number I've got that uh, puts a number on the physical properties of a pitch. Colin McHugh has been a very undervalued, underrated, uh, you know, reliever. And then Andrew McCutcheon maybe as like you know a left fielder DH type uh, that won't cost that much might come on a one year deal. That's that's the kind of stuff that they'll do if Britt is right and they just want to like tread water, make make the team a little bit better, uh, and and try to keep keep their noses clean going forward. But with thirty million dollars in their pocket, uh, I don't know. What do you think they would do if they if they had the big deal? Go get Nick Castellanos. Go get you know get Kyle Schwarber back. You know, do something I more. I expensive? don't know if it changes that much for them though. Do you? I think Heim Bloom is pretty like stick to the plan and an extra one player when they're not really going all in next year. I don't know. I don't know if that really matters. I think it'd more likely be a Schwarber plus. McHugh, Schwarber, plus something else, right? 20-ish million spread out over two players on shorter deals that might have to be multi-year deals. I don't think it's the the Castellanos. If Castellanos is going to get four or five years, I don't think Boston's the team that would do that, even though if the tax went up, they could. And even though they do have a need in the corner outfield, I think this is a team, if you're looking for a source of a potential trouble, a lot's going to ride on some young guys like Bobby Dahlbeck, who did show an improved K rate down the stretch last year. Jaron Duran, whose debut was pretty rough, but his numbers in the upper levels of the minor leagues were great. I mentioned JBJ. I mean, if they can't fix him, he's really only a bench center fielder, unfortunately, at this stage of his career. So that's definitely a fair question. So the bottom half of that lineup starts to break down pretty quickly. You know, Tristan Cassis could be an answer coming through the system. Jeter Downs had a good fall league. He could be an answer because he played Downs at second base. Then Kike Hernandez can help out in the outfield and you cover your flaws that way. So they should make one position player addition to the mix of, of left field mostly and be in a pretty good spot if they pull that off. Now, I think the other the thing we have to think about is what will they really get from Chris Sale? Because they lost Eduardo Rodriguez to the Tigers in free agency. If they get a 80 to 90% bounce back of pre-surgery Chris Sale, Evaldi Sale as a 1-2 atop the rotation is a big deal. The innings for which Rich Hill is healthy are usually above average innings. Tanner Houck could take a step forward. It's a lot of conditional stuff. A lot of things still have to go right for them to keep pace, but it's still, it's not out of the question, even though I would be less optimistic about them now than I was about them going into last season when I thought they could possibly overachieve. Yeah. And I think they're in a totally different position than the next team, which is the Yankees, who I think, you know, fell obviously fell short last year. It's not like they exceeded their expectations. Fans have been waiting now since 2009 for the Yankees to return to the world series. I think there's a lot of pressure on New York. And they almost have to make that splashy move, even though they already have a lot of money tied up in the contracts of Garrett Cole, and Giancarlo Stanton. So like when you guys look at the Yankees, what are they going to do here? Are they going to finally go above the luxury tax, even if it doesn't like increase like we maybe expect it to coming out of the CBA? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. Like you, you think about Heim Bloom and Friedman, and then I also think about uh, Mark Shapiro uh, going to the Blue Jays. Uh, these these 
the executives that go that have success in small market teams, and then what did what they do when they when they get to the big markets, right? And it hasn't been the same for all of them. But Heinblum has been running the red the Red Sox like the Rays. I mean, I don't think I have to go much further than just to highlight the names that you were just talking about. That's very Raysian to sign Rich Hill, Michael Waka, and James Paxton. In fact, I know from sources that they were in on James Paxton. Uh, I don't know last year or the year before when. Paxton went on a one-year deal. Michael Walker was a Ray last year. Rich Hill was a Ray. So uh, very much Raysian. But I just don't think that that works for the Yankees. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the Yankees did the, did a little bit of the Raysian thing where they're like, hey, we're going to sign Corey Kluber to a one-year deal. We're going to do this. And the media, the fans, they weren't in on it. <laughs> they did not like it very much. They, you know, they were they were kind of like, "Where's our? You know, we need to buy another Garrett Cole. You know, we need to buy. You know, we need to we need another. We need we need Correa. I think that's that's sort of where fandom is, and it's hard to argue with that because if you're the Yankees, you should act like the Yankees. I think I don't think that you need. You can learn from the Rays, and you can learn from these other teams, and you can have a great player development system. You can have a ton of coaches. You can do a lot of things on the margins. You, can, you should do all that, but you also should do the big elephant in the room stuff. You know, you should also go out there and get Correa. So you know, I had like the what do they do if they're if they're cheap uh, plan and <laughs> the cheap plan is not going to make anybody happy. The cheap plan is Jose Iglesias and Brett Anderson. And the reason I even put that on paper is I wanted to see what is out there to get like get a shortstop right to help them to their to their young guys right Wh- who's out there to 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 put it shortstop and who is out there to give them some innings and those are two of the decent names. But I mean that's that's Raysian, right? That's not that's not Yankeeism. The Yankees should maybe just go get Correa and Rodon. Bam. Just be the Yankees. That would that would help, right? I mean, if they were anybody else, with the roster they have in place, they could get away with running it back with this roster and not really doing anything and just saying, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll see how bad Glaber Torres is at shortstop after a few more months, and we'll trade for a shortstop if we really need one, even if it's a defensive first guy. We'll just see what happens. We'll... They're projected to be the number one team in baseball by war. Right. But we've talked right about now, this before. Right now, though, Ito, there's like nine, there's so many guys who need to be signed. You can't go off of that. I don't know. They're projected by almost three wins over the Astros. Do you think the Astros are going to make a big splash? I don't know. I think Not that. Not necessarily, other than, well, the, the, their projection doesn't have Correa in it, and they have to replace him somehow. So if they lose him, are they going to replace him with Trevor Story, or are they going to go to the. Jose Iglesias well, they got, score. They got, I think it's Jeremy Pena right now, and they're above average with that with that in there. <laughs> so. so the problem with the Yankees, we've talked about this before, is with projections, older players are going to project yeah. more favorably than young players, and older players are more likely because of injury and regression to end up falling short of those projections. So they look better on paper than they are. It's kind of the opposite of the Rays problem, where when you lean into young depth, your projections don't look as good as they mm-hmm. should. When you're an old team with a bunch of guys that used to do it consistently and now because of injuries they don't do it as consistently you're not quite as good as you look on paper and I think that's a fair assessment of the Yankees but if you are projected even in those conditions to be the best team in the league by war as things stand right now you're probably still a top seven or top eight team even with the the risk sort of baked in and they're going to do something at short I'm sorry you you're not going into the season with Jose Iglesias as a starting shortstop. It it has to be 
it has to be Trevor Story, right? Trevor Story and pinstripes. That has to be the solution here. Yeah, I think Trevor Story is a better option than Correa because you could get him for a shorter deal. And the Yankees have a couple of young shortstops that they're like waiting on. And this way you have, you know, I don't think Trevor Story is anyone's like one year bridge, but this way you have um, a solution for at least the next couple of years. And you're kind of forcing those prospects to come up, maybe put them in another position if they really are, you know, swinging it well. But I agree with you, Derek. The issue is when you're looking at the the Yankees' projections, is they're they're projecting healthy seasons from Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, which we just never see. We we're constantly dealing with the oh day to day. Always got nagging this. Always got nagging that. They're such big guys. They're I think so they're big. just susceptible to. <laughs> it's like giantism. I think they're always just susceptible <laughs> to those leg injuries because yeah. they're just they're just huge and they're playing a physical sport. And, you know, you just can't really rely on that. I also think the Yankees need someone behind Cole because they just need another starting pitcher, in my opinion. Like, if you're going to run Cole out there, that's great. But we've seen Cole kind of, you know, stink it up on huge stages, and they can't afford that in the playoffs in a short series to not have somebody else that at least scares you. You know, you look at the Mets, and you've got DeGrom Scherzer, right? So if someone's injured or not performing well, you still got somebody Mm. that, you know, legitimately terrifies the opposition. And I think you have to go out there and, and get another starting pitcher because you just can't rely on mashing all the time when your lineup is so injury prone. It can't be it, it can't be Luis Severino just yet. I mean, maybe if he shows it, maybe, but it'd be much better to have Severino in the three spot just to be like, oh, and when we're all going good, maybe you know Cole Rodon Severino that could be you know a really nice uh, postseason rotation. That sounds like the Yankees, you know. And yeah, great point on on the projections, guys. I mean, John John Carlos Stanton is projected for 584 plate appearances. I mean, it, it's either it's with Stanton, it's either 150 or 600. It's 584 seems very unlikely. Um, and then you've got you look around like you know they're they're huge. Aaron Hicks though is coming off of injury and has been very injured. Aaron Judge uh, gets injured from time to time. Gio Urshela was injured last year. DJ LeMay, who is older and was injured last year, um, like the only kind of young position player that they've got that's pre-peak right now is Gliber Torres, you know, and, and, you know, I think most of New York thinks that the, he is what he is and he is no better. I, I, I have hope for him, uh, to bounce back. Um, and so I do think the Yankees are like a top five team in baseball. Uh, but I, I also agree with you that like two big moves could make this a lot better team. Yeah. Well, and they might be living in a division where, two of the other top five teams in baseball are in their division. Like that could be the case too. So that makes life extremely difficult, but it's the depth too. That's a little bit underwhelming. I mean, I for years have thought Miguel and Duhar could repeat what he did in 2018, but he's been an up and down guy. He's been hurt. It hasn't happened defensively. He doesn't really fit in. I think one thing they need, I'm with Britt on the pitching depth, at least, even if it's not a number two, because I think Jordan Montgomery took a step forward. If Luis Severino is healthy, which is a big if, he can clearly be a number two guy. Like a Cole Severino duo is possible. So if you if you add more of a mid-rotation sort of guy to the mix, or you got it's got to probably be a trade to get an impact pitcher anyway, you can probably find someone that makes that rotation a lot better. one of the A's pitchers? Yeah, like Sean yeah. Mania or you know, one of one of the A's pitchers. You have to be really be careful because you're taking a pitcher from the, one of the best pitching environments in baseball and putting him in one like of the, the worst. You you'd have to you yeah. want the best one. You might want to go get Montas because he strikes guys out and not not rely on Mania to to kind of soft toss his way through Yankee Stadium. 
But what I think is interesting about the Yankees right now is they do have a good farm system. A lot of times Yankees prospects get that extra inflation because, well, they're Yankees prospects and the Yankees are going to trade their guys. But I think this is actually a really talented group that can bring back a lot of things via trade if they want to go that way. They want to say, we're going all in right now. We're going to make multiple deals. We're going to make a blockbuster with Oakland. They can send back some major league ready guys. They could send back Luke Voigt and Andujar and get back Matt Olson and help in the rotation. Like They... They can pull something like that off. I know Matt Chapman was a rumor we talked about a month or so ago as a guy that they thought maybe they could put it shortstop for some reason. Still kind of weird, even though it's the kind of weird that the three of us might ordinarily embrace. All that is to say, like they have to do more than the Eno budget plan. If they go Eno budget plan, <laughs> to be fair, Yankees Twitter will be more unsufferable it. than usual. I just wanted Agreed. to outline it. <laughs> they can't go Rays in. And by the way, I love that expression. I think we should use that more. But it's true. Here's the thing. like If the Rays could afford Carlos Correa and Trevor Story, they would buy those guys because they put butts in the seats above all. Those superstars, are you're there to watch. The Rays do what they do because they have to. The Red Sox is a little more confounding, obviously, what they're doing. I think they are going to, when it's time in Bloom's head, add those big names. But you guys are right. The Yankees should flex their muscle. They should be smart and have this huge payroll. You know, there's no reason why they can't go to the World Series this year. There's, it wouldn't surprise anybody right now if the Yankees went to the World Series. Another reason I like Story possibly over Correa is that Story is faster and more of an athlete than Correa in terms of uh, at least foot speed, um, and I could see him playing center uh, if the if the young guys come up. Uh, Volpe is by some to some like a top five uh, talent in the minor leagues. Uh, yeah, Volpe uh, Volpe's stock is kind of going through the roof, and he's not the only infielder they have that's approaching being big league ready so story story's the kind of guy that i think you could move around i think you can move to center easier than correa correa seems to me someone you'd move to third uh you'd move yeah. you know down the defensive spectrum on the infield story might have uh some years in center right now i just think it, it's not even about necessarily the money because it's not my money but if i were in a position where i was looking at correa versus story as great as i think carlos correa is story to me offers you almost as much and you don't lock yourself into as many years if you have that young talent and that's exactly the situation that Britt described they have some guys that are going to come up and be everyday players and maybe Korea's injury history doesn't really like line up really well with what we were just talking about with the old guys that would be a point of contention I think in the Bronx as well and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream direct TV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing 
ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Let's go to the Blue Jays. Uh, one big move before the lockout started. Kevin Gossman goes there on a five-year deal. Also a nice addition to the bullpen with Yimi Garcia. Uh, on our resolutions episode of Rates and Barrels, my team resolution was that the Jays just need to keep going, which is not a resolution. It's more of just like your friend standing on the side of the road while you run a 10K holding a <laughs> sign that just says, good job, Derek, keep going. The... The clear need is an infield upgrade. Jose Ramirez is the the player that everybody wants to send to Toronto, except for most Cleveland Guardians fans. There's probably a few Guardians fans that are like, "Let's get the prospects." <laughs> like, well, you'd, you'd rather you'd rather exist in a world Yay, where your team tries. Yeah, right. Stop, stop rooting. Stop rooting for your team to trade away like top ten players because that's not a, a fun place to be. But this is a Jays team that has some turnover. Marcus Simeon on the one year deal is gone. He went to Texas. Robbie Ray left. He went to Seattle. Stephen Matz is gone. He went to St. Louis. A couple other role guys are gone. Okay, so if it's if it's not Jose Ramirez, Britt, it's someone, right? This this is a thing where the Jays are not just going to coast into the regular season with their current infield depth chart intact. Yeah, I think Chris Bryant would be a great fit here. Um, you know, I think he adds a little star power, a little pop. You know, that lineup is young. He could mentor, bring along some of those younger hitters. Uh, you know, we talked about – I saw this great tweet uh, about kind of trading what's going on in baseball. And it was like, hey, can you imagine if small market Cincinnati and small market Buffalo traded away Josh Allen and Joe Burrow to another team for prospects a year before they were <laughs> losing them? Like, imagine the riots, right? Um, but in baseball, we're like, yes, savvy move, like golf clap for you. Um, that whole mindset needs to be blown up, in my opinion. Every team can and should be trying uh, for the most part. Every team can afford to be trying. And if you can't afford to be trying, you shouldn't own a team. That's just my um, 30 second rant there. But I do think Chris Bryant fits in here well. I think Toronto um, has shown a willingness, especially with the Gossman deal, to continue to go all in. Their window is now. You know, we we kind of said last year that like they're right at the the start maybe of their window. And I think having those players with another year, you know, watching Bobichet, watching Flagler Jr., like watching those guys continue to get better because they haven't hit their ceiling yet. You go out and you get in one more infielder who's got some star power, and this team is dangerous. Like I would, I like this team better than any other team in the American League East. They're young, they're fun to watch. Toronto's a great city that really gets behind uh, the Blue Jays when they're doing well. Uh, I just don't see any reason to not like Toronto. I think you know there's some questions in the bullpen. There were some questions last year with injuries. Uh, obviously, uh, I think when you look at this team, I think they stack up against the Yankees, even if the Yankees go all in and get the Correa's or the stories of the world. 
I think Toronto is going to be right there. A lot of it depends, obviously, on if Kevin Gossman is the San Francisco Kevin Gossman, not the Baltimore Kevin Gossman. Uh, but I do think he's kind of figured it out here uh, at this point in his career. I think they're like one move away, maybe two, from just being an absolute juggernaut. I want to clarify before I say this that I am not anti-spending. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that um, they have spent and they are about to get more expensive. Vlad Guerrero was, is going to be around $8 million this year. He's got uh, three more years of arbitration. So, you know, Vladito is going to get it pretty expensive in those years of ar- arbitration that are coming up. Bo Bichette, uh, gets into arbitration next year. He's going to get pretty expensive in those arbitration years. That's going to be a little bit of an explosion of cash that they have to put, they have to sort of think about in the future. Um, and they do have four sort of top label uh, free agents in Springer, Gossman, Ryu, and Berrios. And th- that's why I thought it was interesting. Shapiro comes from the Indians who never spent any money on pitching. And uh, with the Blue Jays, his three, his top three free agents are all pitchers. Um, serves me right for thinking that uh, past would be prologue. In the in any case, my my point here is that it might be the budget, uh, the budget way, uh, because they have a pretty good team. They they might be looking at the fact that they are projected to be a top five team right now. They're in the mix no matter what, um, and they could do something like a Josh Harrison who ended up being, when I looked at sort of projected values in the free agency, Josh Harrison was number one because he's projected to put up about a win and a half and he's going to cost them like $5 million. And the nice thing about Josh Harrison is he's a right-handed second baseman at its very worst. Craig Biggio is a left-hander. Him and you know Biggio and, and, and uh, Harrison together would give you some versatility all across the infield. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's a plan. I don't know if it's a great one, and I think Chris Bryant would be a better one, uh, but Chris Bryant may be asking for too much money for them. Yeah, and I think we're not going to see any significant payroll hit free agency until after 2023. That'd be Hinjin Ryu and, and Randall Gritchick. I think that's about $30 million combined between those two point, players. At that point, Bobuchet so- and Vlad Guerrero are probably making, Jr. are probably making $30 million. Right. And if you're thinking about how that kind of fits into, you know, what your budget is as a team, someone who's in the final years of arbitration right now, which again is why like a Matt Chapman or Jose Ramirez, who's already on an extension, like those types of players who don't have the rapidly ballooning salary, like they fit because of the moves they've already made. They've the Jays have done the teardown rebuild process about as well as you could. It wasn't a, an eight year teardown. They did it with a great young core. They spent on free agents. They've been aggressive at the trade deadline. They're not clutching prospects, and they still have some young talent left. They have enviable depth behind the plate. Alejandro Kirk, Gabriel Moreno, two of the the better young catchers in the league. Kirk, even if there's some questions about his defense, looks like an impact bat. So Danny Jansen could be on the move to a team that wants just a a solid veteran-type catcher. They have more pieces they can still deal if they want to go the trade route. That's why I think some of these ideas are are actually realistic. And I think when you look at their roster top to bottom, the strength from last year that we talked about during the the end of the season run was just that they they did damage. Like They had a great offense, and they don't strike out a lot. And that's a description that you'd put on the Houston Astros offense throughout their peak. And that's what makes a team 
truly dangerous against some of the elite pitching staffs that you're going to encounter in the postseason. So I think their their World Series aspirations are real because they've built it the right way. Yeah, those are great points. I also think, too, that when we talk about spending, I don't know if I've ever heard them say, like, we're going to hit a limit here. They've been a team that they're a big market team. They're owned by the Rogers Communications. You know, they have deep That's pockets. And I wonder if they keep upping the luxury tax, which they're trying to do right during the CBA. Um, I wonder why wouldn't you go all in and keep pushing the chips forward? Like, yes, Vlad, Vlad and Bobichette are going to cost you some money. But when those guys hit free agency, I mean, that's going to go up tenfold, right? So mm. why wouldn't you try to maximize this window with these guys while they're still young and fairly affordable and say, hey, we're going to go all in and we're going to win a World Series in the next three, four years. That's a good point. I mean, their luxury tax number is 161 right now. I mean, that's 40 million away from the current CBT tax. Yeah, and I think the other thing that stands out, you could add Bryant, the bullpen is actually pretty good. It's a little, maybe a little underrated because it's not necessarily guys that we've seen pitching in October for years, but Jordan Romano was a guy that you were kind of all over going into last season. You know, he's emerged to be their kind of clear-cut closer, at least as much as they have one at this point. And the depth options there are pretty intriguing as well. So like any team could add another bullpen arm and it would be a good thing. They don't necessarily have a glaring need in that area either. So they're pretty well set up if they can address that that weakness in the infield. Oh, we just Julian Merriweather could have a healthy season. You guys would see how awesome he is. <laughs> I just want to see it happen because the idea that it could happen has been simmering so long on the stove that most of the water has boiled out of the pot <laughs> and evaporated. But so I, just I do like that bullpen because to know. it's it's like Romano's kind of like your traditional, you know, uh, what you think of as a high stuff uh, reliever, but uh, and, and like a closer, but Simber is like one of the funkiest pitchers in, in baseball. I mean, just the whole setup, the whole load, and then the the kind of uh, uphill side arming. I, I love that they have that, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we talked about with the Rays, where they have you know eight million different arm slots coming out of the bullpen. Uh, I, I think that they've done a little bit of that in Toronto. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, another bullpen arm could be good, but I think. I think you know, looking at Santiago Espinal and 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 Kevin Biggio is like the the starters here on the infield. They're, they're, that's where I'm looking to. One of those guys can start. Both of those guys can't start. Very right-handed lineup. So I guess maybe Biggio being in there as one of your bottom three hitters isn't the worst thing in the world. Espinal would be my like util guy. I think. Yeah, he's, he's he fine plays, for like played three hundred plate appearances. He played, he played third. He's not a real standout with the bat. Are you guys just uh, are you guys just avoiding getting to the World Series champion team that we saw? <laughs> There's a reason why they're last on the rundown. You know, the order for these episodes has varied every single time depending on who I was working sure. with. Uh, the Orioles were going to be last no matter what. No matter when the oh, ALs we're out came of time. around. Yeah, the, Orioles. <laughs> the Orioles are still a team. They're there. Uh, maybe they're more watchable because Adley Rutschman and, and Grayson Rodriguez and, and D.L. Hall all come up and, and spend most of the year in Baltimore. I mean, they've made a couple of additions. Jordan Lyles and Rugnet Odor. Yeah, no, you need innings. So I guess that's what Jordan Lyles is theoretically there for. I really don't know what they're doing with Rugnet Odor. I think he would kind of fall into the no longer interesting group of players where you just want to take that 500 plate appearances wherever you're going to play them and just give those to someone else. Learn learn something about someone else in your organization 
with that time. But their needs are everything other than catcher, center field, and first base. Anything makes them better. They have a ton of opportunities on this roster. They should be the kind of team that keeps throwing darts and trying to trade players if they hit, which I think is where Eno is going to go with his recommended moves. No major losses to speak of. Pedro Severino, Michael Franco, not a big deal that they're gone. I like the young prospects that are going to come up this year, but that's going to bring them maybe to a bottom three finish league-wide as opposed to dead last. And really, right now, they can thank the Rockies for being just completely awful for um, not having them already buried at the very bottom of the projection. So what's reasonable? You know, What should the Orioles be doing with the open playing time that they have at so many spots? I, I want to say audition a bunch of arms to see you know who's going to be there with Grayson Rodriguez and John Means but you know I've got these I've got this stuff stat that kind of tries to be fast and tries to look at just the physical properties of the pitch and they don't have a standout guy Keegan Aiken is the only one that even comes close to average Kramer and Bruce Zimmerman have really bad stuff according to this model um and so you know, I guess give Aiken some some burn again, but the results haven't been great. Maybe changing the outfield walls. Um, you know, I think they should maybe take another couple of darts uh, to maybe rehabilitate somebody that's out of the market. Like Chaz Rowe uh, had the best stuff plus among relievers. Uh, maybe like Matt Duffy on the infield. Uh, I had them like as a, a possible place for like Tommy Pham to 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 maybe get a one year deal provide some value, maybe get traded out. Um, but their outfield is actually the one place where they're they're pretty decent. So uh, I don't actually see that much opportunity for them. And I think they need to really be doubling down on player development and be improving in that because we saw some numbers this year that suggest that they're still in the bottom five in player development. They haven't, they haven't been figuring it out yet. And... Uh, we're looking for something in that pitching department uh, other than Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, guys, it's, it's tough times here in Baltimore again for another year. I feel like they're on year four. This is year four of the rebuild. So you'd like to say, Hey, we're going to be better this year. There's going to be something more watchable. And while I think we all expect Adley Rushman to be there at some point, we're not really sure. I think too much on DL Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, they're a little less certain. Um, there's just not a whole lot to watch about this team. They're not, we're not, they're not going to be signing guys who are going to be part of their future. Uh, the product on the field, a lot of these guys, the Trey Mancini's, the Cedric Mullins's, you wonder, are they going to be part of the next great Orioles team? And I think the answer is no. I think that the, the window is that far off still. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're starting Keystone is Ramon Urias and Rudnet Odor, and the primary backup behind them is Jorge Mateo and their third baseman is Kelvin Gutierrez. These are all, uh, this is a rude word. I want to say like retreads. It's they're, they're all like, they're all like pickups. They're, 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 they're exactly what I'm saying they should do, right? You should, you should give people the chance. You should give these players that other teams are releasing a chance because some of them will come through and be a, you know, major league average above average players. However, I don't have that much help hope for these particular players that they picked up. And that's also just a way to be like, when the team is good, Ramon Urias is our utility player. You know, that's like you you should yeah. be 
you should look into the future and see, oh, this is how they get pushed off their position. And I don't see that yet. Like, I, like who is the Baltimore shortstop of the future? They don't have one. Yeah. And I think if they were even remotely close to being ready to contend, they could do something similar to what the Tigers did. They could sign their shortstop now. They could say, we're in on Carlos Correa because two years from now, we think mm-hmm. we're going to be ready. And I think that'd be too much of a leap. I think by the time... By the time they're ready to contend in this division again, any big signing like old. that, even if it's a 10-year yeah. deal, yeah. you're four years into it, and the the best years of that signing have passed. And then you're in the getting to the back half of that deal when you know there's going to be regression for any player over that period of time. I mean, I, I can talk myself into Anthony Santander and Austin Hayes as guys that can get better. I mean, that, that's not unreasonable. Mullins looks like a possible star. He's a little bit older, older than you might know, than expect. Not, yeah, which is why he won't be part of the next good team, right. right? I mean, all of a sudden he's on the wrong side of thirty, and you know the the problem is, and you guys hit on this, they don't have position player prospects like they do the pitching prospects. So where are those position players coming from? Are they buying them? Are they all of a sudden using all the money they've been pocketing for years? To have this crazy payroll. Some of some of this is chickens coming home to roost. Like, why don't they have an Anthony Volpe? Well, because th- for a long time they didn't sign a single international player, which is ding, ding, ding. that's on ownership. It, it's not necessarily you know the GM's fault in the past, but as far as far as I'm understood, I don't I'm you know I'm not in the room. Correct. But that's that's what I've understood. So. You know, kudos for the new team to like actually start signing international uh, players again. But if you don't sign international players for five years, you just have a big hole in your organization. <laughs> just yeah, I, I think we're finding out how long it takes to actually build the relationships. Yeah, in the international free agent market to actually get impact players. I mean, I remember just it was two years ago now that the Orioles had T-shirts made. For the July second signing class, like <laughs> we signed players in the international free agent market, is like you're celebrating this with T-shirts. You're celebrating this the way a high school soccer team celebrates parents' night. Like, what are you doing? And like, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're you're trying to do the things that other teams do now, just to make yourselves better. But yeah, it's a huge part of of why they are lagging so far behind. Why this rebuild is taking so long, and you do have to wonder at what point does the patience run out with the current front office, even though I would actually be more inclined to defend why it's taking this long than to say, yes, it's time for a change. I mean, this, this to me is a clear failure of ownership. It is the, it's the Colorado of the American league. That's the way I look at Baltimore right now. There's a rotten structure that goes to the very, very top. And I think even if, even if you were a good front office, which is possible that they have good people in place. At a certain point, if the whole structure is rotten, it doesn't matter how good you are. My, my main issue with Baltimore is we're going into year four, right? And if they're not good in year four and they're not good in year five, like say Elias's plan doesn't work. Well, you've got all these years now of this team being futile. Now you're really up a creek without a paddle, right? Yeah, because then you become the laughing stock and you don't even get free agent love at all. Like Everyone chooses the other team. So everything hinges on this going correctly. And even if this goes correctly, guys, they could still not be a good team. They could be an 80-win team. Especially when we've talked about the American League East, they could be a good team mm. for the AL Central. Look at the Blue Jays. Yeah. They were a really good team last year. It's tough. It is very tough. But uh, 
I don't see an end in sight in Baltimore, even if they are more watchable with some of those young players we mentioned. I mean, Grayson Rodriguez might be a legit front-of-the-rotation sort of guy. Those are difficult to find, difficult to develop, and difficult to keep healthy. So Rodriguez, Rutschman, maybe you got a couple of perennial all-stars on your hands once those guys are up. And it's not necessarily something we said about the 2019 or 2020 or 2021 versions of the Orioles. But we have to go. Before we go, I should let you know you can get 33% off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash baseball show. Be sure to get a subscription. Check out Britt's latest piece. The fans, of course, are the big losers in the lockout. So it's a great piece. You should check that out. Everything we're writing, all the coverage of the lockout and the non-lockout stuff, which I find to be more interesting and more fun, all available for one low price. So for Britt Giroli and Eno Saris, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. We are back with you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.